Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. Hello. And Larry Correa. Remember, the firemen are rarely necessary. The public itself stopped reading of its own accord. Today's episode, Censorship in Welcome back to the Writer Dojo, everybody. Uh, we're very, very pleased to have you back with us today. Today, Larry, uh, we're going to talk about the topic that is kind of on everybody's mind as of late. Well, it's what spawned this, this conversation that we're about to have. So a lot of you have seen um, Netflix effectively bought the Roald Dahl estate, and they decided that they're going to make all those books safer, Larry, because that's a great idea. Yeah, and uh, my opening quote today was from Fahrenheit 451, so that tells you kind of what I think about this idea. But we're going to go into it today, and the, and also um, censorship in the news uh, for us writers, how it affects us, and also what I think is even more nefarious is the self-censorship that so many of us are doing to ourselves and our art as a result of this. When, when I first saw the – so I, I grew up reading Roald Dahl, um, you know. BFG, Charlie and Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach. Not a big fan of James and the Giant Peach, to be honest with you. That's a weird story, even for me. I'm not even a Roald Doll fan, really. See, uh, I am. I, I mean, I, you know, BFG. Charlie I mean, and the Chocolate, Chocolate Factory. I, I mean, I read a bunch of them when I was a kid, but I wasn't. Matilda. I love Matilda. Oh, Matilda. Yeah, that's right. So I love these stories. And so when I saw this news that... <laughs> That the estate, and the way they phrase it is funny, right? They're like, oh, the Roald Dahl estate is doing all of these changes. But when you look a little deeper, and, and I hope I have this right, when you look a little deeper, it seems that, well, it, it's not really the Roald Dahl estate. Well, I guess it is, but that estate got purchased by other people. Yeah. And so now they're doing what they want. Yeah. And it's and it's pretty, I don't know, dude, I was, I was pretty pissed off. This is, to me... This is freaking evil. It is. It's, uh, that was the, the first word that came to my mind when I posted about it, when I saw it was evil. Um, it's, it, I, well, you've got some examples, don't you? Cause it's, they make it sound like, oh, well, we just cleaned it up a little bit to, uh, get rid of some of his old racist nonsense. It isn't even the racist. It's not even racist nonsense. It's, it's any word that they deem offensive. Okay. So here's one. I think this one's from James and the Giant Peach. It says, initially it was Aunt Sponge was enormously fat and very short. Okay. I mean, look, these books are for kids, right? Like I I know people that definition, that description fits just fine. Aunt Sponge was quite large and very short. It's subtle. Okay. Now, if, if you picked up the new edition of the book, and hadn't read the old editions, and you were just reading through, you probably wouldn't notice it. They only replaced um, a couple words. You know, instead of enormously fat, they said quite large. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, that's not, that's not that big of a deal. Oh, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Okay. It goes on. Um, she had a screeching voice. She had an annoying voice. Those two ghastly hags... Those two ghastly ants, or aunts, I don't know, maybe I should be more proper. Oh, it's British. Ant sponge, fat and pulpy as a jellyfish. Instead, it's now ant sponge, pulpy as a jellyfish. 
Here's the one that, uh, that I think is, is very interesting. They're describing the house that they live in, in towards the beginning of the book. And it says, a queer ramshackle house. Now it is a strange ramshackle house because heaven forbid you use the word queer as it was originally intended, as the literal definition used to be, right? Yeah. And to mean strange. Um, and it goes on and, it goes on, on, and on, on and on and on. There's hundreds now, of examples. Now, the things that, that you start to notice when you go in there is they're taking out any descriptors that could be considered pejorative. They're taking out any, any, any descriptors, whether, you know, the, the use of queer as in one meaning, as opposed to, as opposed to how it's normally used these days. Right. Or, uh, you know, the words fat or the words, any, anything that, that seems as if it's quote unquote harmful. Yeah. Triggering. Triggering. It's. Microaggressing. It's asinine. I saw another example where they had, I think it was from Matilda. I'm not sure you can use that word, Larry. Asinine? Um, maybe, maybe we should use a more soft word. Can you come up with a softer word for that? It's. Super uncomfortable. Well, we're not doing the profanity episode yet, so I don't know if producer Jack is ready on the beep, so I can't really say what I really think. <laughs> um, but no, I, it, it's it's nefarious is what it is. This nefarious rewriting. It's like people took 1984 as a playbook, not a warning, but as like a, as like a list of things to do. Oh, they're rewriting that too, by the way. Uh, oh yeah, I saw that. <laughs> of all the books to rewrite, that is the most deeply ironic one. Yeah. With I this, mean- if you rewrote Fahrenheit 451, that'd be fairly ironic too. Oh yeah, I'm sure that's I'm coming. I'm sure that's coming. I mean, that's where the quote came from today. But the thing is, guys, this is really weird. And this is, they're doing it to an author who's dead. Um, and so it's gotten a lot of attention because these are books that are in the public consciousness we've all seen forever. However, they're doing this to authors that are alive with our manuscripts that we have now. Uh, not all of us. Some of us actually do have freedom. Uh, to write what we want, which is very nice, but a lot of people don't. And we're going to talk about some of that today too. When several, oh, a couple of weeks ago, depending on when this airs, several weeks ago, there was a, a little thread that went live in the Writer Dojo Facebook group. And if you haven't joined the Facebook group, you absolutely should. Um, we have some some pretty cool stuff to talk about. There's our, entire anthologies yeah. populated entirely now out of members of the it's, Facebook group. It's really awesome. That yeah. just popped up the other day. Yeah, Space Cowboys by Tour uh, Press. I mean, first of all, awesome press. Yeah, good run, job, guys. Run by, our, run by a lot of our, our friends over there. But the funny thing is that that press has nothing to do with the writer dojo. No, just we're where we and, hang out. And yet every person in the table of contents happens to be a member of the writer dojo and a participant in the writer dojo. And a lot of those people, it's their first cred. That was pretty neat to see. That's that awesome. Was cool. That was so really cool. my point here, the writer dojo Facebook group is awesome. We have lots of actually helpful, interesting discussions within it. One of them the other day, it had to do with sensitivity readers. Oh, yeah. Now, I know both you and I are, and if we haven't been clear about this in the past, we're about to be exceptionally clear right now. They're stupid. It's an awful, awful thing. Now, my, the post that, or the little reply that I made in that thread said, now look, if the whole purpose of a sensitivity reader is to read through your manuscript and find areas where you've made legitimate mistakes because perhaps you don't have the correct subject matter experts reading your material and giving you advice like we've talked about before, then I can see 
I can see the appeal of such a person. Unfortunately, that's not what this is. These people are looking for things that might potentially offend someone who's probably not even going to read your book. Uh, It's professional grievance mongering is what it is. Mm. Uh, I have never seen one of these done in good faith. Uh, Every time as a sensitivity reader, I mean, okay, like if you talk about in theory, having somebody read through your book to make sure you're not offending some particular group, like let's say I'm writing about a group that I don't belong to, I'm not familiar with their culture. Say Native Americans. Yeah, so let's say that if I'm writing a story about, you know, the uh, the Pawnee Indians, you know, I should probably check with some members of the tribe and to say, hey, does this fit? I mean, am I doing anything stupid, wrong? Did I, did I screw up your language? Did I screw up your religion? Did I screw up your history? But it's interesting. The way you're talking about it, though, Larry, is very different because you're saying you're going at it from a intellectual research-based mindset. Yes. Where you're saying, I want to make sure... I get the details right. My T's are crossed. My I's are dotted that this sounds legit. Yeah. Sensitivity readers are not academic. No. They're emotional. They're the opposite of academic in that they are out there. And like I said, once again, this is not in good faith. Correct. They are professional grievance mongers. They get paid to find stuff to get butthurt over. It's really what it is. And I'm sure that's offensive somehow too, but it's what it is. They're going to go through your manuscript and they're going to find every stupid little thing that's going to hurt somebody's feelings. But here's the kicker, guys. We live in a nerf-coated world where everything hurts somebody's feelings. Yep. There's nothing that you can write. There's nothing you can say or do that won't cause somebody's offense. And just because it's okay today, you know, roll doll, doesn't mean it's going to be okay in the next generation. Well, remember um, several episodes back we were talking about problematic authors, the problem with problematic authors. We read the list of people. And then I read those some of those quotes from Joe Lansdale, who, oh, yeah. who as far as political leanings go, is hyper, hyper left. Oh, polar opposite of me. Exactly. But fantastic author. Uh, I mean, he was, a, he was a conscientious objector during Vietnam, right? Yeah. I would have made napalm. Correct. Um, I, I mean, I, so we were both military I was going to say, I would have yeah. been, I would have been stuck in an office somewhere. Yeah, We would have, we would have did the paperwork for counting Napalm. beans. Yeah. Um, d- talking about the profitability of profitability or cost ratio of Napalm, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, anyway, you laugh, but we did that with the last war. We really did. <laughs> well, what's the cost effectiveness of this drone, Larry? Yeah, well, 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 let's look well, at the contract. Let's look at it. Um, so One of the things that Joe Lansdale said in there, um, and and this is why I have so much respect for him, is he said, he said, I am not writing to not offend. And I think that's super powerful. Yeah. Because in order to challenge anybody's mind, in order to challenge anyone's way of life or thinking or anything, uh, which is often what we do in our fiction, we're challenging the reader in some aspect whether it's with uh, confronting their immortality, their fears, um, uh, helping them helping them become uh, in love with characters or settings and stuff, right? You're challenging the reader. You cannot challenge the reader if you do not risk offending them. Absolutely. Honestly, it's like, you know, if you guys want to self-censor, uh, that's on you. Yeah, uh, a I lot don't of, recommend it. I don't recommend it. But Because what happens is a lot of people... As they're writing, a lot of aspiring writers, they'll be writing their books and they're like, mm, this is going to offend people and they take it out. 
But then the the farther you go down that rabbit hole, the more you're going to take out because everything is offensive to somebody. Now, when we say self-censoring, we aren't talking about the addition or removal of, say, profanity. That is a measure of self-censorship, but that's not really what we're talking about. We're going to do an entire episode about you know, the, the whys and the hows and the, and the technical aspects of, of including or excluding profanity within well, your Because there's actually books. a lot of psychology to it right. for the reader. What we are talking about is this absurd idea that if something might be construed as offensive to someone somewhere, somewhere out there in the world, that you can't do it. Well, here's a kicker, because if you do that for one group of people that are perpetually offended, I guarantee there's going to be another one that's going to come by later that you've already appeased one group. The the next group will be going to be appeased to you. Okay, so for example, I was looking at the Roald Dahl thing and what they're getting out. So they took out all the references to fat. Uh, yeah, and, or, anything or, or, that's anything that today is, is assumed of, uh, what's the word, what do they say? Uh, you're shaming someone? Anything that would be to say that like a woman was unattractive in any way, which guys human beings we're on a bell curve some people are more unattractive than others that's just how it is well and attract and attractiveness in a large part is very subjective when i say that as a man who looks like a giant version of james gandolfini okay yeah. i'm not what most people think of as pretty but but they pulled out all the stuff all I that stuff pretty oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> wow all right i broke my train of concentration there no but okay so if you appease one group on this case let's say they pull out all the references to fat and ugly right but I noticed on some of the stuff they left in, like at one point in Matilda, they had like the list of authors that she had read to escape, and uh, they had pulled out Rudyard Kipling. Uh, oh, like she had gone to India with Rudyard Kipling. They took that out and they changed it. She had gone to California with John Steinbeck. Uh, Which, okay, first off, Steinbeck uh, is n- is not that good. And uh, plus, I'm from that part of California. That's where I grew up, and Steve grew up just north of there. He screws it all up. That's not at all what that place is like. Even back in, my grandpa hated, friggin' hated that book. Yeah. And we all had to read about it in school. And yeah. we're like, this is crap. This is it's not how it went down. Freaking boring. It's horrible. Okay, yeah, Lenny, go pet the rabbit. Okay, but here's the thing. They left in Ernest Hemingway. Like she went to somewhere with Ernest Hemingway, right? But they left that one in. So why pull out Rudyard Kipling, but leave Ernest Hemingway? Why add John Steinbeck? It's interesting, right? It's like they took out some of the more escapist fiction and gave her more, I don't know, what people deem like boring classics. Socially. Socially acceptable stuff. Which is the funny thing is like, how does Hemingway, okay, if 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 you're going to point out problematic, clearly that sensitivity reader doesn't know much about Ernest Hemingway. Correct. Because Ernest, I actually like Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway was not what you would consider a controversy-free non-problematic, politically correct author. Not even close. Uh, None of those early, quote-unquote, classical authors were. Well, that's the thing. Give me a freaking break. Mark Twain? If you look at an earlier time period through the lens of today, literally everybody is a sinner. I mean, there is nobody from any... If you look at... The past is a different country, is the old saying, right? Yeah. And so if we were to look at some of these old Shoot, authors and say that I'd guy. Say it's a different world more than a yeah. country. Well, I mean, well, this guy in the 1950s had ideas that are not acceptable in 2023. Well, no kidding. Congratulations. Things change. In 1954, that guy was probably considered a very progressive liberal individual. And now you would consider him like the worst thing ever because this stuff changes guys. And all the stuff that they are considering is acceptable today will not be acceptable tomorrow. These people that are the censorship people have this idea that they're like on this unerring line of history. They're on the right side of everything, except 
uh-uh. I guarantee that in a generation, they're going to be looked at as freaks and flakes. And I would even get into the social issues that I think I won't on this show because we're not politi- we're trying not to get too political. But there are social issues today that are just considered normal and right and just that I think in a generation or two are going to be looked at as wicked and broken and evil. Just as we look back at stuff like eugenics and think, wow, that's gross and weird. Who could possibly believe that? H.G. Wells? Yeah. <laughs> Problematic. You know, there you go. And so, guys, the thing is, the, if you're trying to appease these sensitivity readers, that fashion comes and goes. And, and I think that's the right word, the fashion, right? All right, when we come back, uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to delve into this. I really, I really want to get into the ideas of self-censorship, Larry, and why, and taking some of the things that we're seeing with the rolled doll situation and helping people apply it. And, and, and of course, we've also seen lots of other examples over the past several years. So we'll be right back. Take it easy. Something terrible lies hidden in the land of the Aranak, buried in the stone of the mountain known as the Horn of Torgiv, a secret that is dire, dark, diabolical. Travel with Hal Cedric as he uncovers a secret long forgotten by the ages. Herman P. Hunter presents The Revenant and the Tomb, Available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, the Apple Store, and more. Buy it today. Welcome back. All right. So, Larry, we, we were talking a lot about the Roald Dahl situation. You and I, we've known quite a few. We, we've seen in the past several other authors who... Like their their books have started to come out. Maybe they've been maybe they're scheduled for publication. M- remember, there was that author. I think she was from China. Um, oh, where she had slavery. She had slavery. T- she was talking about slavery in China. Yeah, or it's like it was and, like an Asian fantasy setting, I believe. And the whole idea was was that the main character, um, she's apparently taking part in this this terrible regime in the beginning, but then as time goes on, she learns how awful and evil the slavery is. Um. Well, Which that, sounds like an interesting character arc to me. Personally. Well, and they and they the sensitivity readers had to come apart, and they actually pulled the book from publication. And the author, once again, we talk about this: don't ever pay the Dane Geld guys. Don't negotiate with terrorists. She negotiated. She negotiated with she terrorists, lost. and she lost. And they pulled that, and it was like because you know slavery. How dare you talk about? Because Asia never had slavery. I mean, China totally doesn't what? have bad things going on in Asia right has, now. Asia has had slavery historically. Asia has slavery now. Okay, especially if you want to get into Central Asia and uh, the Middle East. Holy crap, you got some slavery issues going on. China China has literal concentration camps. Oh, work camps for- uh, Right now. And Worldcon is going to go take a tour. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, totally different topic. I will not get (laughs) off on that. I am Um, enjoying their discomfort to a great degree. Well, look, I mean, the bots needed a voice too, Larry. (laughs) <laughs> That's true. So who will speak for the robots, Steve? Who will speak for the robots? No, it's okay. Skynet. So in this case, she she had the sensitivity reader. She negotiated with terrorists and she got eaten because mm-hmm. you will never make these people happy. On self-censorship, guys, I see all the time where an author is like, well, I want to write about topic X, but I can't. And I'm like, well, why why can't you? That's the great question. That's the Yeah, it is the question. And inevitably the answer is some form of... Well, because of some social fashion thing now has declared it's not appropriate. Okay. So, so let's, let's rewind, um, say, a year and a half ago, two years ago, Larry. 
you and I are in the thick of writing uh, Servants of War. Okay. In that moment, that book, as, as most of you listeners know who've read it, um, and those of you who haven't, I'm very disappointed in you. You need to read this book. Anyway, it's basically a totally not Russia at war with a totally not Germany. Russia, so quote unquote, is invading another country and things are awful and it's bad. They have a horrible, terrible leader. It's all bad. The book literally came out the same day that Putin invaded Ukraine. Yeah, our timing was fantastic to have a uh, uh, proto-Slavic uh, fantasy novel come out. That said... Now, here's the thing. It would have been very... Uh, what, what if somehow we had a crystal ball and we knew that... We knew with a fact... I mean, everyone kind of knew it was going to happen eventually, right? Well, once but, we elected Joe Biden. Yeah, I mean, we knew it was going to happen. So we... It would have been very easy for someone to say, oh, guys, I mean, uh, in fact, there's a review that says this where it's like, oh, you know, it, this is, this is, this is kind of problematic, guys. I mean, you're, you're writing this fantasy novel that's basically, you know, this proto-Slavic country invading another one. And that, I mean, that, that's too, that parallels the real world too much. That's pretty problematic, guys. Oh, well. It would have been very, uh, you know that there are other authors who would have seen that and said, well, then I can't write that book. Yep. I guarantee there's publishing houses that would have yanked it. Oh, for sure. I, we, can, we, we, I can think of two or three. Yeah, we know the same ones. Uh, and they would have yanked it. And they would have cowered in a heartbeat and yanked it. Here's the kicker. We wrote about a fantasy world. It's not our world. And 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 what I was going to say uh, earlier was that we're not really writing about the good guys. We're writing about some guys who are good guys, but they're part of a big evil machine and an evil empire. And we make it pretty clear throughout the book that these are not, I mean, the guys, our hero is the patron of a dark God. Okay. Yeah. Like, like is, the Baba Yaga is not a good guy. Right. Right. This is very clear. I think, I would think from like all the baby bones. I think you hanging, just misgendered her, Larry. I probably did. How dare you. Sensitivity readers were raised. I, I called her evil. That's probably like Roald Dahl's estate will come along and take that. Oh. They, they say she was a, the Baba Yaga was unkind. Yes. She was less than kind. I think that was kind of, we illustrated that because of all the like baby bones she had dangling yes. from her ceiling of her, of her evil witch house hmm. with chicken legs. Okay. So guys, we didn't pull the book because why would we? We're no. writing about a Even, fantasy world. Here's the thing. Even if we would have known with a fact the exact day that that was going to happen, I mean, we might, we might've changed the release date by a couple days. Yeah. We would have changed I it. Mean, we would have bumped it back. Bumped, a, I would have bumped know, it up a few weeks. Bumped to, it up a month or whatever, you know? but- <laughs> But um, the point is, it doesn't change the book. No. No. No, it doesn't. Heck no. And in fact, it's it's interesting because anytime you guys are going to get pulled along in uh, world events and stuff happens and you freak out about it, guys, guess what? World events are going to happen. It's a big planet. There's 8 billion people doing stuff. I guarantee you, whatever you're writing about, somebody's going to have an events offensive version of that come out around the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, I had someone uh, a little while ago, and it was kind of unrelated to this, but like someone was attacking me for something. Like, I can't believe Larry Korea is involved in this controversy right when he has a book coming out. That's so oh. convenient. Well, here's the thing for, for the stupid, dumb idiots out there. There's always a controversy, and I've always got a book coming out. I know. I mean, one of the one of the interesting things about being a prolific writer, Larry, is that your books you're always releasing something. I mean, if, if I if I start thinking back between 
your novellas, your short stories, your novels, uh, and now nonfiction. Like, barely a month goes by without something interesting coming out from you. Yes. And so the thing is, if I'm within six, and it was within like six weeks or whatever, if if I have a six-week window around every new release or project I have, then that leaves me like maybe four or five days a year where I could actually be safely embroiled in controversy. <laughs> safely? <laughs> <laughs> so seriously. And so it's, you guys cannot live your lives in a way that you're out there worried about like controversy. It's going to, I guarantee something you're going to do is going to offend somebody. You know, my very first book though, I wrote in college, what, why I shelved it. Minute of Angle? Yeah. Minute of Angle. My yeah. very first, I've talked a little about it on the show. Um, September 11th. Oh yeah. I was writing a book about people killing, killing terrorists. Uh, it was about, oh. it was about, pri- it was basically about a private equity guy, uh, with a lot of money, uh, whose daughter was killed in a terrorist event involving aircraft. Weird. Involving airplanes. And I was writing this in college and he went out and basically when the state department couldn't handle the problem, he went out and did it himself by hiring a bunch of professionals. Several of those professionals later, wound, uh, after I shoved this book, they wound up in the dead six novels. Right, right. Yeah. Cause nothing goes to waste. Um, but why did I shelve it? Because September 11th happened. Yeah. And all of a sudden it was like, uh, oh, you know, I'm writing about terrorists using airplanes. <laughs> that was bad. So when I, many, many years ago, when I was first shopping around residue, in fact, I think, I feel like I got this rejection when you were in the office with me. It was from, uh, Dan Wells' agent, Sarah Crow. She sends me this this rejection letter for residue saying, Hey, I loved this book. There are scenes in here that I'm never going to forget. This book is awesome. When you see that you're like, Sweet. I'm in. Thank you. Like, yeah, great. like you don't get compliments like that. No, not from an agent. No. And then the next paragraph say, but I can't buy this book. Okay. Those of you who've read residue, uh, and, 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 and I know you love this scene, Larry, I have the prom scene. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of violence at a school event. Yep. Okay. Um, none of it is person on person. It's monster on person. It's the whole time. Sort of psycho werewolf on person. Yeah. Yeah. Basically werewolf on person ish. Uh, I got that rejection right after the Sandy Hook shooting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I got censored. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, our friend Nick Cole. Oh my gosh. Now that was, that, Nick, that was, that was evil. Nick Cole got super censored. He used to write for a publishing house. Uh, he's indie now and kicking butt. Him and Jason Osbach are killing it, uh, doing Galaxy's Edge. Check those so out. So I'm on, I'm on book four of that series now. Yeah. Dude, those get better and better per they're, they're, they're good writers. They're good. Nick, Nick's a good dude. So Nick was writing for a, a traditional publishing house. He was writing a post-apocalyptic sci-fi where like the, basically kind of Terminator-esque where the machine, you know, uh, this machines have risen up. The AI has overthrown mankind. Uh, so he had like a, this one paragraph, mm-hmm. one paragraph about how the AI came to decide it needed to destroy humans. So the AI gains sentience. It's watching mankind. And there's a show that's like a Bridezilla show, like a reality TV show. And it's watching and studying humans. And this one bride is pregnant. She gets pregnant, you know, before her wedding. And she doesn't want to look fat. Oh, oh, roll, roll dolls. People Sorry. are going to come yell at me. Um, she she didn't want to, look, want to look larger than perhaps as usual. She didn't want to look larger than usual in the belly area of her wedding dress for her Bridezilla mm-hmm. show. So she went ahead and got an abortion. I mean, Bridezilla is probably offensive. More like yeah. um, bride, um, 
let's see, bride-induced discomfort. Yeah, okay. So she got an abortion, right? And the AI looked just for fashion, for TV ratings. And so the AI looked at that and said, hmm, if mankind will do that to its own self uh, for convenience, what will it do to me? And that was it. It was one paragraph. One paragraph. One paragraph. And they didn't even ask him to censor it. They actually booted him and uh, off I thought it. they did. I thought they said, they said, take this out or you're gone. And he's no, like, no. I think he was gone. Mm. I don't even think they gave him we'll an opportunity. we have to get him on the show and ask him. Yeah, we need to get him on a guest because he's a good dude. Yeah. Um, recommend his book. Check him out. But so there's one of those. And why? It was because some editor at this, you know, and usually most of these editors are butthurt guys. They're not real editors. They're like 24-year-olds out of college. They don't know jack about the world. They all come from the same political monoculture. They all come from the same uh, you know, socioeconomic bubble out of Manhattan. They all graduated from NYU. They all graduated from the same schools. They go to the same parties. They know the same people. They're all friends on Facebook. They got butthurt and boom, there you go. And, and so guys, this censorship stuff, if you want to, like when I was saying censor, there's a difference between censoring yourself and editing yourself. Now, if I'm writing- That's a, a fine distinction. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay. So if I'm writing a book, like for example, if I'm writing uh, Hard Magic, it's set okay. 1932. You know, 1932 is a very different world. And I hit a lot of stuff in those books that was historically accurate for that time. I mean, you kind of ripped off the X-Men, I think. Oh, yeah. That was the one. Okay. So I did get one critic who was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe that Larry Correa had the president of the United States, who in this case was Franklin Roosevelt, uh, put people in camps just because they were different and scary. He's ripping off totally the X-Men. ripping off the X-Men. No, actually I was ripping off the Japanese internment that FDR did, and to the point where I even used the same exact camps, such as Topaz and Manzanita, and you know I, it was the same exact thing, and so I didn't rip it off. It was real history, but some dumbass out there was uh, okay. Well, that that word that was probably okay. Some guy out there decided that that's that I was ripping off the X Men because yeah. yeah, because I had FDR put people in camps. No, but the thing is, there was a lot of stuff from the 1930s that wound up in the books. And that I got yelled at by these people because like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Larry Korea had Imperial Japan being evil in, in 1930s, 30s, 40s in China. Hmm. Mm, yes. That was, I actually had one guy who accused me of racism for having the Imperial Japanese be very savage to Chinese people. That person has never cracked a history book in their life because Ooh. I toned that stuff down. Oh gosh. But I mean, there was racial stuff gosh. that I got into because, but the thing is, I was like, I'm writing about the 1930s. I'm writing about an alternate history version of the 1930s, but basically culturally the people were the same people. And I'm writing about a lot of real people. So did I have Jim Crow stuff? Yes, I did. And in fact, you'll notice those were not from the good guys. Yeah. In fact, one of, one of the main heroes was a dude who had to sit at the separate lunch counter. Yeah. And one of the other heroes didn't think that was right. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. That was the world we lived in. If you were to run Hard Magic or Spellbound or Warbound through a sensitivity reader, how much of those books would survive? None. 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 I mean, seriously, they would have- I mean- They'd gut everything. I mean, the teleporting blimp fight might, because they're all wearing gas masks, so you can't see what they look like. (laughs) But then again, that's too fun. That seems too fun, so it might have got cut because it's too entertaining for them. 
That's the thing, guys. Everything is offensive to yeah. somebody. Now, that said, one on self-edit, there were some stuff, there were some topics that I didn't touch on because, honestly, it would have been more of a distraction yeah. from overall from the book. Or it's like, all right, here's a, here's a social issue that existed in, the, in that time period. Is it pertinent to the book? No, it's not. All right, then I'm going to skip over it. It's a thing that exists, and I might have a character notice it. Well, it's, it's like we say with everything else. Um, if every character notices everything, then nothing's important, well, right? Kind of like when we're talking about world building in real life, your point of view protagonist doesn't walk around noticing the architecture of everything unless they're an architect. Unless they're an architect. If that's their thing and they're into that, then they'll notice it. But a regular guy doesn't walk into every single building and tell you exactly what the architecture is like. Right. Or, or, you know, what everybody's wearing. Or what the food is. Now, if you're a food person or a clothes person. You notice that. You're going to notice that. But it's the same when it comes to, let's call them social issues, right? Yep. Not everyone cares. In fact, there's a lot of people that just don't give a crap. Or or it it's background noise to them. Yep. And it's like, I'm, gonna, noise. I'm going to draw attention to social issue X. Well, you know, most most people who are reading this are like, well, they've seen that. They grew up with it. They lived with it. They've seen it. They're tired of getting beaten over the head with it. Just yeah. l- just entertain them with your book and move on. I notice the sensitivity readers probably never, ever pull that stuff out and say that, oh, this is going to be triggering to regular people who just don't want to hear about your, your angst. No, that stuff's going to stay. And in fact, that's all that's going to be allowed to remain. So I'm a big fan of the show, of the old show, the old version of Top Gear. Oh, I love you know, Clarkson, Clarkson, and May Hammond, and, May, and May, yeah. You know? And the Stig. And the Stig. I, I loved the original show. Remember, do you remember the episode um, where they, they served as consultants for the, it was like the heist movie for the car chase? Yeah, the Sweeney. The Sweeney, right? Yeah. And in the whole thing, they're like, oh, well, you know, it, it, it's actually really interesting. This car, uh, the way it accelerates, it does this certain thing. And so they, they show the scene where it's them talking about how they're like, oh, well, uh, this car really couldn't actually make this turn. Uh, so unless you push this button and you do this thing and you need to talk about it. And so it's this whole long protracted scene where it's talking about all these weird little intricacies of the car that literally no one cares about. Yep. And they play it for fun. And they yep. play it for And they for have humor. the actors, they have the actors there is like, well, I have to hold down this red button for three seconds to disengage the traction control. <laughs> Once I'm able to do that, I will be able to slide around this car and thoroughly chase after the people we are chasing after. You know, like it's so bad, right? Like, but that's kind of what we're talking about. It is. Um, not all of that stuff is important. A lot of that stuff is a distraction. Does it does it exist? Yes. Totally does. But it's background. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You gotta ask yourself, what is your book about? And what is pertinent to that? Yeah. And what makes that book better? Um and so yeah, I will I will I will self edit, but I won't self censor. Correct. Um, have you ever self like legit self censored? Um, I was tempted at one point to, um, okay. Cause you know, hard magic was a uh, alternate history. Yeah. And it's at 1932. But one of the things I wanted to do alternate history, I wanted to kill Hitler early. Yeah. That way I wouldn't have, because almost yeah. all alternate history is like fighting the evil Nazis. Well, you, and you I did, wanted, you I wanted that to, in an easy way. Well, yeah. So I wanted to fight Imperial Japan and I wanted to fight the communists. And so I killed Hitler in like 1929 or something. Well, and like all of Germany. Oh yeah. Well, 
Uh, I did blow up a big part of Jeremy, but yeah. part of it was so I had the character Heinrich. I was actually, it was a great, fantastic character. Dope. I was actually really tempted at one point to, because, you know, we we don't know what Heinrich's real name was, uh, but I was actually really tempted to make Heinrich be somebody who was, in World War II, a very badass dude we fought. Oh, okay. Uh, in real life. Because remember, I had a lot of real life historical people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, uh, but I looked at it and go, mm, that doesn't add anything. Did it matter? And it didn't matter. Exactly. Because the character I was writing was an entirely different man because of what he grew up with. This, His world was destroyed and he built a new world from the scraps mm-hmm. and went on to try to be a good guy. So that's the character I wrote. Yes, there was a historical analog in mind when I started writing this, but I was like, you know, it's not, it's even a person, unless you're a history dork, you probably hadn't heard of this dude, but I can't remember his name right now, but it's bad man Majamba. Tough dude, tough dude. Killed a lot of Americans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, killed a lot of Brits, a lot of Frenchmen in in war. And I looked at this like, I, so originally that was who this guy was going to be because it's an alternate history. But I was like, that doesn't add anything. Only the nerdiest of nerds are going to get the reference anyway. And so it doesn't matter. So in that case, it wasn't, it was kind of a self-edit, self slash self-censor. Because like, mm, you know, I could have a war criminal here as one of the heroes and that's just going to complicate matters. So yeah, it's just one of their, so... Guys, it's honestly, it's about your own artistic goals. Yeah. And satisfy yourself. Yeah. The goal is to make your audience happy, not not outside third parties. Yeah. I mean, like we always say, the goal is to entertain, right? Your job is to entertain. Yeah. So remove the things that prevent your audience from being entertained, whatever that is. Now, I can sit like you, I consider that an editorial process, not a censorship process. Yeah, because honestly- And now, an audience. And, and you know, tailoring tailoring what I'm writing to who I think the audience is. Yeah, because I had a lot of like little historical Easter eggs in there with like a lot of like background characters were real people, mm-hmm. um, but they all made sense and they weren't a distraction. Yeah. You know, and so if I had one that would actually been a distraction, eh, not worth it. Now, one of the- I guess this does fall into the realm of censorship to a degree of self-censorship. And that has to do with the type of content I am willing to put into my own book. Has less to do with theme and more to do with like what would normally be considered like content in terms of a rating. Um, I, and, and you don't do this either. And this is, I don't, I don't really put sex in my books. Well, I'm not good at writing it. I'll be honest. Well, <laughs> I'm not. I don't, I'd rather not write that personally. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay. Like, but like if, you know, I was writing for Laurel K. Hamilton's audience, I would definitely. That's a very different section game. Up. That's a different and game. And she's, she's good at it. You know who, I mean, like Brad Torgerson's another sci-fi Actually, guy. He's, he's very good at writing Brad that. can write sexy time yeah. <laughs> like really well. I can't, that's not a gift. And plus my wife would laugh at me. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. So I know that's like a self-censorship thing. That's just more of a marketing and branding thing. Yep. I, my books tend to be rated R for violence, rated PG-13 for uh, 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 sexy grown-up situations at yeah. most, you know? That's just how I roll. Yeah. And Monster Hunter's rated R for language. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I, I definitely hit the hard R for language <laughs> and violence on that. But Monster Hunter, like, like I usually, like when it comes to the sexy stuff, I, I cut away from it. Yeah, which is the same thing I do. I, I do the 1950s, 1960s movie Fade things. Black. Yeah, you know what they're doing. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty obvious where the situation's headed. Yeah. 
But I'm not. That's well, here's the thing. I, well, I, I used this analogy once before. It was uh, some guy, some former British SAS guy, had written a book. It was a thriller about assassinating a Saddam. So it was a, a, a plot to assassinate Saddam Hussein with a, a sniper. So there's this big like James Bondian globe hopping, let's kill Saddam thing. But it had this giant sexy um, uh, romance plot in it that every single review I saw was like basically. Guys who buy books about assassinating Saddam Hussein that's marketed like it's a Vince Flynn, Brad Thor kind of thing. Yeah, kind of Tom Clancy. Don't need <laughs> 16 scenes of yeah, I was romance. Say, don't need uh, don't need Nora Roberts in here. That's not what they're signing up for. And yeah. so so there's self-censorship, but I once again, I'd say that's self-editing. Yep. It's knowing your market when you're aiming for. Yeah. But like on the Roll Doll thing, going to bring this back full circle, what was his original audience? And that's what he wrote this for. And like, sorry, kids are going to call people fat and they're going to make fun of people who are short and weird looking. Yeah. Kids don't have sensors. No. Didn't they make the Oompa Loompas like, like asexual vegetable creatures or something? Oh, geez. I don't even know what they did to the Oompa Loompas. I, I feel like, oh man. I'd have I to go back and look. I, it was bad. I'm, I'm kind of like churning through like weird old memories here. I feel like originally, um... I feel like originally they were a tribe out of Africa. Was that what and the I, Oompa I, Loompas were? Uh-huh. And I feel like I feel like they originally got censored back in back in the day into being this own little their own little like pygmy race or something. This, that's problematic too. Well, it definitely is now. Well, heck, uh, Agatha Christie. <laughs> Agatha Christie's probably well, she is the most well known mystery author in the entire world in the history of the world. Yeah, okay? she sold. More copies of her mysteries than anyone else. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like 100 million copies it's, or it's some insane number. Um, she sold an intensely absurd amount of books. Um, she has she has a, a book that these days is called And Then There Were None. They've made BBC shows off of it. It's the, it's the typical, like, it's the typical uh, limited engagement or uh, limited party group where they start dying one by one, mm-hmm. almost like a dinner theater sort of thing. But they're all on an island. That book, the title of that book has been changed, I think, three or four times because uh, because it was initially based on poetry that uses use the N-word. Really? Yeah. And then, so it used to be called 10 Little... Really? In, you know, insert N-word. Uh, and then it was called 10 Little Indians. Well, it got changed again because that became offensive. And so now it's in then there were none. Okay. All oftentimes, it, it seems like we see that these, the censorship comes after the author is in no position or not even alive in order to defend themselves. Call me crazy, Larry, but I hope that with, with my, uh, that with, with my writing career, that sometime in the future, I've left something behind that people for years and years and years can pick up, read, and be entertained by. That's yeah. what I hope. Um, if it helps someone through a rough time, that's awesome. If it just helps entertain someone, that's awesome. It's pretty disheartening to think that after I'm gone, you know, after I'm long dead and buried, that someone can go back and F with my material. I do have one closing thought on this. Okay. When I saw this, I looked at my daughter, Hinkley, who is my writer child, and I go, Hinkley, you, you're st- my estate, I, you had better not do this when I'm dead and in the ground. And she looked me in the eye and she goes, Dad, that depends on how much Netflix is paying me. 
<laughs> All right, with everybody, with that, we're going to leave this with you. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the episode. And uh, thanks again for joining us on the Writer Dojo. We'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Naivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writer dojo by leaving a five-star rating and review and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. I'm not sure you can use that word, Larry.